Welcome. Uh, why don't you guys grab your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah 6. We're going to continue in our study of Nehemiah. And as you're turning there, uh, why don't you stand up and we'll read the first five or six verses together as we stand. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. And in the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent to me his servant with an open letter in his hand. Jesus, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for gathering your saints to this church. We thank you for yourself. We thank you for your continued work in our lives. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the hope that you have made alive to us and, and abound to us. And so I pray this morning, Lord, by the power of your spirit that you might minister to your people, that they might hear from you this morning as we open up your scriptures and learn from them. We're here to meet with you, Jesus. We're here to spend time with you and together with, with each other. Thank you for this hour. I pray that, uh, that it's used to bring us into a greater understanding and trust and affection of yourself. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you with everything. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Um, so Josh, Josh used this term last week when he was preaching through chapter 5 of, of Nehemiah. In, cha in chapter 5, there's all of this turmoil from within. In, in chapter 4, you see this, um, this pushback, this attempt at um, disheartening Nehemiah and his work, an attempt to discourage what it is that he's doing, attempt to uh, put doubt in his mind. In chapter 5, you see turmoil from within, within the, the family of the, of, of the people of, of Israel, from within their, from within their own walls. Uh, the people start acting um, unwisely, and, and Nehemiah has to lead by example, and he has to sort of raise his voice, and he has to get something done, and he really, he really hammers on it, and it's, and it's, it's, it's what Josh called Nehemiah being a, a servant leader. He's there leading by example. He's still guiding. He's still dealing with the people in, in, their, in their mayhem, uh, but he's serving them the whole time. He, he still builds the wall. He continues to do the work that the Lord has called him to do, and as we'll see here in chapter 6, that continues to be the case, but we once again see Nehemiah dealing with uh, trouble from outside once more. This, these two characters, Tobiah and Sanballat, are, are coming at Nehemiah trying to discourage, trying to undo the things that he's trying to do, trying to pull him away from the trajectory of obedience that the Lord has called him to, to build this wall. And one of the things that, that Josh pointed out last week is that the people, you know, Nehemiah is being obedient. We're called to be obedient to the Lord even when it doesn't make sense. And what we're going to see this week 
sort of again, because we, we, did, we did see it in chapter four, we see it again in chapter six, is a call to be obedient even whenever it's also dangerous. There's a call to be obedient when it doesn't make sense to trust the Lord then, a call to be obedient whenever it's dangerous to trust the Lord also then. And Nehemiah is giving us a, a good example of this throughout. And, and, I, and I really want to take the time to land on this, um, this idea of, of how intense this has to be for Nehemiah. And you know, as I was praying about this this week and reading this text over and over again, um, the, the point that I want to land on for the next 10 minutes or so was one that I honestly, as I was reading it, I was like, this, like, I don't know if I need to say this. I don't know if this should be one of the main things that, uh, that, I, that I land on and, and really try to drive home with the people, but I just feel called to, to, to make this point. And it's pretty incredible how the Lord works because uh, after the first service, um, I talked to uh, a, a fellow and local pastor and his wife who were dealing with something that, that like this, this message in Nehemiah spoke directly, directly, that almost, almost verbatim the situation. Um, and I thought that's, that's incredible because this isn't a point that I, that I think, I, I think I would have let it go. Um, but the Lord has something here for us this morning and, and, and I don't think that my friend is, is the only one. Uh, and so what I want to land on is, is, is in part how intense this has to be. We really need to take into consideration how much grief Nehemiah is really dealing with in his, in his effort to be obedient and, and have fidelity to the call of the Lord and all of the different voices that are coming in on him uh, from all these different angles, from all these different people, people who are actually quite influential. This guy Sandballad isn't, he's not just some nosy neighbor who's getting into Nehemiah's business. There was a, uh, an ancient document called the Elephantine Papyrus that was discovered in 1909, and it actually says that this guy Sandballad was the governor of Samaria. So this guy that's coming against Nehemiah again and again and again is someone with some real power, someone with some real persuasion, and someone with some real influence, and Nehemiah stands his ground. And it's not just Sam Ballot that's coming after Nehemiah, and it's not just Tobiah that's coming after Nehemiah. It's also the people of Israel themselves. In chapter 4, we considered this a couple weeks ago, starting in verse 10, we read these words, In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And then in verse 12, it, verse 12, it says, And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. Tobiah and Sanballat, with, with however much power and influence this guy has, they're coming at Nehemiah again and again and again. And you've got to think that starts to wear on a guy. It starts, to, it starts to run the risk of beating you down and filling your head with doubt. And maybe, maybe, I, sh maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Did I hear the Lord correctly? Did I misunderstand? Did I misinterpret? Am I doing something wrong? I'm getting a lot of pushback on this. And then from the people of Judah themselves, 10 times, they didn't just mention it once or twice, 10 times they said, stop, the work is too great, this is a fool's errand, this is too much of a mess, you're never gonna bring restoration to this, come back, it's too dangerous, we need you, stop. And I really wanna take that into consideration, I really wanna think about that. Nehemiah had good reason to reconsider what he was doing. He was getting the opposite message from a full 360 degrees around him, people were coming at him people who are known enemies, but even people within the family. 
And here in the, what we just read this morning, four times Sambalat sent to Nehemiah. And then on a fifth time, he sent to him, stop doing this work. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, so when you're doing something, when, when you're called to follow Jesus, life can get really complicated. And you can start living in a way and doing things in such a way that the world around you does absolutely not agree with you whatsoever and is telling you and, is, and will tell us, tell the church, corporately and individually, that we're wrong, that we're foolish, that we're mistaken, that we're closed-minded, or that we're simple-minded, that we're, we're, we're missing something. We have science now, man. Throw that Bible away. It's an old book. Who cares anymore? There's all sorts of things that the world can tell us about our fidelity to Jesus that really does run the risk of causing us to be afraid, to reconsider, to even, to even stumble. And what I love about Nehemiah is that again and again and again, people come to him. It's like, it's like Noah. Build a boat in the middle of the desert. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this wall doesn't make any sense in a lot of ways, but Nehemiah is, is, is showing fidelity to the call. He knows what the Lord has called him to do, and he's sticking to it. And, and I, that really spoke to me because the Bible does say that in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 11. There's real wisdom there. In the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And it's one of the greatest gifts that there is that the church can offer each other is another point of view. Did you think of this? Have you considered that? Have you, have you experienced anything like this before? I have. The people who have gray in their hair have a lot of wisdom to share with younger people. Guys who are in their 30s and 40s got a lot to share with guys who are in their teens and in their 20s. There's a, there's a robust and beautiful gift of the church that, it, that, is, that is the sharing of counsel and of wisdom, but, but we also have to be careful what it is that people say. We, it, we are required, it is, it is important for us to discern what it is that someone is giving us in the way of counsel. Are they saying something that is helpful or are they not? And the people that are coming to Nehemiah, influential and powerful as they may be, are telling him something antithetical to what God has told him to do. And what we see here, this is, this is what really jumped out at me, is, is that they come to him, the fifth time that they come to him, a messenger comes and he has a letter in his hand. Verse 6, and it was written in the letter, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews are intending to rebel, and that is why you were rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king, and you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports, so come now and let us take counsel together. There's a threat there. It's subtle, but it's real. The king's going to hear about this. And maybe Sanblat didn't know that, that Nehemiah had letters from Artaxerxes, that Artaxerxes knew what was going on. But he's, he's, trying, he's trying to pull the rug out from her. He's trying to feed doubt. He's trying to feed questioning. But he comes with this letter. And that really stuck out to me that whenever we are following hard after Jesus, and there's all, this, all these voices vying for our attention and all of these voices trying to convince us that what we're doing is foolish. And admittedly, sometimes what we're doing as Christians does seem foolish or seems hopeless, seems like a waste of time. 
But if someone counsels you, and so here's the, here's the you know, in a, room, in a room this big with this many people, I, I can't get specific. There's no blanket statement that I can make other than if people are coming to you or if you're going to somebody with counsel and you've got an open letter in your hand, you better also have an open Bible. We have, to, we, have to, we have to check everything that we do, everything that we say with the scriptures. The Bible itself says in 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. And so, do, so they come to him, but they don't come to him with a word from the Lord. They don't come to him. No prophet comes to him. They don't come to him with the scriptures. They come to him with this letter that was written by some guy, and it's full of lies. And so I just, I hear, I just, I, I feel a caution there that, that it's so easy as Christians because we're outnumbered and we're following a resurrected Christ that by and large the world rejects, whom we are called to preach to and to love, but we're not kidding ourselves. Like it's, it's unpopular, it's unpopular in Portland to be a Christian and with all the other voices that we hear, what is it that we're giving our mind to? What is it that we're giving our attention to? Jesus, his word above all else. And it's easy to let slippery voices come in. And even from, remember in chapter four, even from people inside the family can start counseling us in ways that, is, that are unwise. And so we have to be really careful with what it is that we're letting into our minds and what it is that we're being informed by. These, these, these men come to Nehemiah with an open letter, but they do not come to him with open scriptures. And they say, let us come and take counsel together and and I and I love that so that they come to him with this lie and I love that that Nehemiah knows he can discern he sees through what they're doing it's I mean it's not hard to see through but he he catches it he's discerning he's he's using the balance he's not so stiff-headed and that, that this is this is sometimes the way that we can be and this is the way that I can be I can I, I'm, I'm such a a leap before I look type of guy that and I get so bullheaded and I get so determined to do something that somebody wisely and biblically and correctly says, Ian, relax, have you considered this? I'm like, no, 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 no. Shush, I'm good, I got this. That's, that's, the, that's, the, <laughs> that's the opposite uh, danger that we can step into is not listening to real biblical counsel. But what we see with Nehemiah here is that people come to him with lies and attempts to deceive and to discourage and he doesn't budge for an instant. He's so confident in what the Lord has called him to do. They come to him with lies, but the Lord is not telling Nehemiah to stop building the wall. All these other people are, but Nehemiah doesn't listen. He doesn't fall for their tricks. And he, he sees this lie and he calls it out for what it is. Verse eight, I love this. He doesn't, he doesn't budge, he doesn't apologize, he doesn't, he doesn't retract, he doesn't step back, he doesn't, he doesn't loosen up, he continues full speed ahead. He says in verse 8, and then, I, and then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop the work and it will not be, not, be done, but now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. He stops and he prays. He stands firm on what the Lord has called him to do and he prays. I love this. He, he does the same thing in chapter 2 when uh, when Samballot and Tobiah come and make fun of him and they're jeering at him. It says in chapter 2, 19 and 20, Samballot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, the servant of Geshem, the Arab, heard of it and they jeered at us and they despised us and they said, what is this that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? But I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. 
and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion, you have no right, and you have no claim in Jerusalem. Again, Nehemiah stands firm on what he knows the Lord has called him to do and what the Lord will do through him. He says, you have no right, you have no claim, you have no portion in Jerusalem. He doesn't back down. How easy it is to hear the voices. And you know, which is probably, I'm probably not unique in this, the loudest voice that I hear, and sometimes even the most persuasive, is my own inner monologue, my own self-doubt, my own self-hate monologue that can just roll repeatedly in my head day after day after day after day about, about anything, about my marriage, about being a father, about being a Christian, about, especially about being a pastor, and a, maybe especially about being a pastor in a city like Portland where I grew up, and there's a lot of people that know me here, and they, they're like, that guy is a pastor. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. That guy is worthless as a pastor. I've no, I know him. I knew him in 2005 and in 2010. Who does he think he is to be a pastor? I, I, I do that all day. All day I do that. There's so many voices. There's so many things. There's all these open letters that have opinions and ideas and thoughts and maybe even concerns, but we have to take that letter and lay it against the Bible. We have to take counsel and lay it against the Bible. And Nehemiah knows what the Lord has called him to do, and he stands firm. And he pushes back on Samballot and Tobiah and everybody else. You have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And so here's another Here's another tactic, verse 10. And so now I went into the house of Shemaiah. Here's a new guy, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehatabel, who was confined to his home. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go and live in the temple? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And for this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. They're trying to make Nehemiah afraid. And this is the, this is the, opposite, of, of, this is the opposite of moving in faith. And this is, this is even what Nehemiah has called the people to do. In, in chapter 4, the, just right after the people said, hey, ten times, stop. Ten times, stop. Stop doing this. Get away, get away from the wall. Uh, this is too big for you. This is too much. This is too broken. You cannot fix this. Return to us. Return to us. He says in verse 14, and I looked and I rose to the, and, and said to the nobles and the officials and all the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and who is awesome. Do not be afraid. But the, but the people are continuing to make him afraid. And friends, I want to be real that it is easy to be afraid. It's easy to become afraid. It's easy to, to get afraid when you're following the Lord in this life and in this world. And especially in this culture, it's easy to become afraid. But to live in that fear, Nehemiah is not going to do that. I'm sure Nehemiah had his late nights looking up at the the whatever was on the ceiling back then and you know probably was like boy this is pretty crazy am I actually going to do this but he chose he chose to live in faith over fear despite the many voices that were coming against him and not only just threats of of trying to discourage him and trying to get him to 
to live in some sort of fear that he wasn't going to continue, that he wasn't going to complete this, this wall or that he was on a fool's errand to be on this wall. Actually, the, the kill. They're actually like threatening to, to kill him. They brought it up earlier in the story. In chapter 4, our enemies, our enemies say that we will come and we will kill them and we will, they will not see us until we are there. Here, there's this threat. They're coming to kill you. They're coming by night to kill you. I mean, these are pretty intense threats. And I don't, I don't know if, you, if anybody in this room has experienced following the Lord in obedience and coming against threats so significant that the word kill and the threat of death actually comes up. But that's an intense persecution. That would be easy to be, become afraid and to compromise and to say, you know what, following the Lord is just a little bit too, it's, I bit off more than I can chew. I don't know if I trust this. I don't know if I should be here. I don't know if I trust him. That's a really easy thing to do. And I'm just inspired that Nehemiah doesn't give in to that here and I pray that we don't give in to that and I pray that I don't give in to that. Whatever voice it is. And you know, that goes for following the Lord in general, but also specifically, if, if the Lord has called you to something, whatever that may be, you could fill in the blank. A relationship, a job, an education opportunity, maybe an opportunity to move to some other state, or whatever, whatever it is. If the Lord is calling you there, and there's people who are trying to, to distract you from that, or even if your own inner monologue is trying to distract you from that, friends, don't, don't forget prayer, Wisdom and, a, and an abundance of counsel of people who, who will point you to the scriptures and point you to our resurrected Lord who will never leave us or forsake us. He will guide us and he will lead us. And I love that Nehemiah doesn't, doesn't give in to that and he continues, even in, the, even in the, the, the face of real threats, he continues to do what he's been called to do and he doesn't cop a bad attitude. And this might be, this is going to be my sweet spot this morning. He doesn't cop a bad attitude. He follows the Lord. He trusts the Lord. His strength and his determination is based in who the Lord is and what the Lord has called him to do. And he doesn't cop a bad attitude. It's so easy to do that. <clears throat> Josh covered last week that in chapter 5, we're told that... Um, Nehemiah became governor and that the governors were allowed because of their position a certain privilege to take money from the people for their own daily for their own daily food for their own daily rations it says chapter 5 verse 14 moreover from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king a total of 12 years neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. And you might be thinking, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's like this. Nehemiah doesn't have an easy job. Nehemiah following for Nehemiah following the Lord is practically daily very obviously a difficult task what he's been called to actually do is really hard and he's getting all this pushback from all these places but then on top of it he doesn't take a he doesn't take advantage of of this of this allowance he doesn't want people to get the wrong idea. You know, Paul does the same thing. He, he talks about this. He, he's, he doesn't ever command it. He says, let, he does, he says don't, don't muzzle the ox while it, while it treads the grain. Let, it, let the beast eat. Let the animal eat while it works. Let the pastor, let the preacher get paid 
But Paul said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work with my own hands because I don't want you to get the wrong idea that I was doing this for the money. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to think that my motives were somehow diluted or wrong. So I'll, I'll earn my own money and I'll, and I'll preach for free. And Nehemiah has taken this opportunity and he's, he's set it aside. And th- that's noble and, that's, and that's, that's good. But what can easily and slowly but ever so insidious it can seep into our minds into our hearts is this cynicism of you know lord i've given up quite a bit i didn't take the governor's allowance this work is hard you know you could give me some real like some real rocks how about some real stones how about taking tobiah and you know why don't you shut that guy up why don't that sambalat why don't you just Get him, Jesus. Get him. Get him, Lord. Put that guy down. He's bugging me. I mean, after all, this is a really hard job. My own people are coming against me. I'm not taking, the, the, I'm not taking advantage of this allowance that I have. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this up for you, Lord. Could you cut me some slack? Give me a break. You ever, you ever had this attitude? You ever felt this way? Things are hard. Life is hard. It is. We're building walls. We're doing things. That, and we, following the Lord is sometimes... You lay your head down at the end of the day and you're like, my goodness. <laughs> Lord Jesus, come quickly, please. It can be difficult. And what can happen is that we start to get this idea that, well, it's, it shouldn't be this hard. Lord, why don't you lighten the load a little bit? You know, I showed you the pictures a couple weeks ago of the walls from the, uh, the Herodian period and the Umiad period and the Ottoman Empire period and Solomon's Wall was impressive. Big 40-foot stones that were cut, perfect 90-degree angles stacked on top of each other so tight you can't get a razor blade in between them. And then Nehemiah's Wall, duct tape, bubble gum, and rubble. That's what he had. Give me some real stones, Lord. Take away my enemies. There's so much. This would be so much easier if you would just, you know, we can do that, and, and, I, and I, I, I want to give you a specific example of this because this is probably the biggest setback in my Christian walk was something like this. The, 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 I did the opposite of what Nehemiah is doing here. I, I became a Christian in 2010 right at the time in my life when everything was about to pop off. I mean, I had really built for myself my own little empire. I had plane tickets taking me out of the country. I had places to stay. I had friends to go with me. I had a big bank account full of money. I had perfect health. Everything was really, really cool. And the Lord struck me down. And if you know the story, you know what I mean. The Lord struck me down and he told me, you're gonna stay in Portland. And I didn't know why. He didn't tell me why. He just said, you're staying in Portland whether you like it or not. And it's so fun to talk to my mom about this this many years removed because she always told me that. She's like, the Lord wants you to stay in Portland. I mean, I literally ended up in a hospital bed and the Lord was like, see, I told you. You tried to leave and the Lord stopped you. He wants you in Portland. But all of my friends, my whole community, besides my mom, every, everybody in my life was on their way out of Portland and they had their letters in their hand and they were saying, dude, come on. Stop being a wimp. Serve the Lord. Stay in Portland. I don't even know what that means. We had a plan. We had a dream. We had an ambition. Let's go. We're 23. We gotta get it done. We're gonna be dead someday. Let's live while we can live. And I, I didn't know why, but I knew I had to stay in Portland. I've got to stay in Portland. 
And on top of all of my friends who are moving away to Ireland and to North Carolina and to all these different places in Europe and doing all this really cool stuff in Alaska and blah, 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 I was staying in Portland and my girlfriend was with me and my girlfriend, who at the time, I mean, I really loved this woman and I really did think that we were gonna get married and I became a Christian and she was not. She was not a Christian and she thought I was so weird and she was so confused by me and it got to the point where it only took a few months where she's like, Ian, I gotta go. You can come with me if you want. You already have the plane ticket. You already have the seat saved. Just get on the plane. Let's go. And I said, Lily, I can't go. The Lord wants me to stay in Portland. I don't know why. And she's like, well, you, I'm going with or without you. So my friends, one by one, they left. Lily left. And there, I remember there being this moment, you know, where... I, I felt this real peace because I obeyed the Lord. And I was actually really thankful for that. I was, I was encouraged by what the future held. But then what slowly started to happen is that what the future held, I had a lot of ideas about. I had a lot of ideas of what the future of my life should hold, how it should go, how easy it should be, and how hard, how not hard it should be. And that started to really take over my mind. And I started to have these expectations like, okay, Lord, you know what? I didn't go to Ireland. I didn't move there. I didn't, I didn't move to Europe. I didn't move to Alaska. I didn't move to North Carolina. I let those friends go. I didn't, I didn't go with Lily. I let Lily go. I let that relationship die that we broke up. So you gonna hold up your end of the deal? You gonna hold up your end of the bargain? I've done all this for you. Now I want my life to go this certain way for me. And the things that I wanted, and they're not important, but I actually wanted very specific things, never happened. It never happened. And from 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, year after year, I grew more and more and more bitter. And you can talk to Josh White. He was walking with me a lot through those years of just absolute spiral because I was so mad. And you know, it's so silly, and, and I, I ha- I'm just feeling, I just... I'm so disappointed in myself, is that the Lord gave me so many blessings here at Door of Hope. I came to Door, I got saved in 2010, December of 2010. I came to Door of Hope, December of 2010. I got baptized in the summer of 2011. I had a community group. I moved in with some really great guys. Door of Hope took over Southeast. Every quarter mile, there was a house with like five of us that lived in it. You couldn't go a quarter mile without bumping into people that you knew. It was really, really incredible. It was a really beautiful time. And I spent the majority of those years just angry and bitter because I gave something up for the Lord and now my life isn't turning out the way that I want. This is pernicious and it's ugly and it destroys your joy. Has anybody done this? Has anybody given up the governor's allowance and then continued the work of following after Jesus and then gotten tired and all of the voices of the world come at you and your own inner monologue starts to beat you up and the devil is just twisting on you to try to make you miserable and try to get you to believe really that God is not good and that he's not paying attention to you. That's a lie. That's a lie. And I wasted so much time. I wasted so much time believing wrong about the Lord And I love that Nehemiah doesn't do that. He gave up the governor's allowance. He continued to work faithfully on the wall. He dealt with every word, every pushback, every threat, every every time somebody said they're coming to kill you, he dealt with it and he followed faithfully after his God. That is awesome. 
And I'm not saying that the Lord won't bless obedience. Absolutely he will. Absolutely he will. If, 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 <laughs> if you do something, if you, if you follow the Lord in obedience, absolutely he will bless that. He may bless it in ways that you don't even realize yet until years later. But to get the attitude of God kind of owes me for this one, friends, don't let that seep in. It can happen so slowly, and yet it's so poisonous. Friends, be wary of that. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He doesn't take the 40 shekels. He continues to work on the wall, trusting his God, turning to him in prayer, and, and, he, and he, finishes, he finishes the wall. I, lo- I love that Nehemiah is strikingly not concerned with Nehemiah. He's not concerned with his own strength or his own prowess. He's, he believes in the Lord. He turns to the Lord every time. Verse 14, he says, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat. Oh my God. Now he's praying. He, he's, he's, he's praying again. He's saying remember. He said it in chapter 1, verse 8. He said it in chapter 5, verse 19. Remember, oh my God, according to these things that they did and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Here, here's a new group of people. There's Sanballat, there's Tobiah, there's this Noadiah, the rest of the prophets, this guy Shemaiah in verse 10. It's just the people in chapter 4, 10 times saying, stop, 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 return to us. He's just getting beat up. Does anybody feel that way? Do you feel that way? Does anybody feel that way this morning? Just beat up, following the Lord, loving the Lord, and, but just feeling like, my goodness. Friends, can I encourage you? He's fighting with you. He is fighting for you. Jesus Christ has given us every reason and every resource to, to joyfully and faithfully and trustingly continue. He has proven that he has power and he, proves, he has proven that he is trustworthy. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He rose again. He's fighting for you. He's fighting through you. He's fighting with you. Remember, Nehemiah says, remember, oh my God. And the wall's finished, which is great. Verse, verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, and all of the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I love that 50, 52 days it was complete, which is, a great, which is a great answer to the question. Remember in chapter four, we read this. Sambalat and Tobiah come up to what they see what's happening and they said in the presence of his brothers and, they are, and, and, and in front of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? So Nehemiah is getting called out in front of everybody. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of this rubbish and the ones that have been burned on top of that? Are they really gonna restore this wall? And chapter five tells us, yeah. There's your sarcasm. There's your, there's your hate mail. Yeah, Nehemiah is going to finish the wall. The Lord is going to finish the wall through the work of Nehemiah. There's nothing that you can do about it. It took more than a day, but 52 is pretty good. And all of our enemies heard of it, and they were afraid, and they fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And friends, that is it. They perceived that it had been accomplished through the help of our God. I... I take so much, there's so much peace in that. You know, a really great look at this is the early church in the book of Acts. Small number of people. And they're all, they're all ragamuffins, every one of them. 
and the, they're the church. Jesus ascends into heaven, and they're the ones that are left, and, and, and they actually scatter because one of them is killed. Stephen is killed, and so they flee because of the persecution, but in fleeing, they continue to preach to the surrounding regions, and there's threats of death, there's beatings, there's imprisonment, there's actually death in chapter 7 with the first martyr Stephen. The church is just beat up and pummeled, and all these people with power and influence are coming down on the church, and the, but you read over and over and over and over and over again, and daily there were n- numbers being added to the church, and 3,000 were added, and 5,000 were added. The church flourished. And so the officials, the leaders who are really coming down on the church, in chapter 5 of Acts, they're, they're figuring out what they're going to try to do, and the most esteemed of them, the, the rabbi of rabbis, the Pharisee of Pharisees, stands up, Gamaliel, and he says, this is my paraphrase, but he says, guys, chill. If this, is, if, this is, if this is just some like flash in the pan human endeavor, it's not going to last. We've seen that before. There's been all these people that have come up, and they've started some sort of revolt, and they get squashed. Their leader dies. Everybody scatters. No big deal. It's yesterday's news. You put it in the bottom of the kitty tray. It's whatever. Nobody cares about it. It's yesterday's newspaper. We do not care. But if this is of God, then you better be careful. Because if you fight against them, you'll find yourself fighting against God himself. And that is absolutely true. That's absolutely what happened. And you see this in chapter 9. Saul, the greatest persecutor of the church, is on his way to persecute Christians, arrest them, throw them in jail, have them killed, and a light shines from heaven. And, and Paul then his name Saul meets the resurrected Christ on the road and Jesus says to him Saul Saul why are you persecuting me you mess with Jesus's kids you mess with Jesus they were afraid they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God that is Nehemiah's confidence friends I pray that that is our confidence wherever you're at Whatever your story, whatever your specific context and situation, know that you can trust the Lord. Know that he is trustworthy. So verse 17 to the end. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by an oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, the son and his son, Yehoanah, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Every time I read that, it's like I black out. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. (laughs) Tobiah is still around. The wall is complete. Tobiah is still giving him grief. And I'll I'll close with with this thought. In verse 7, in that letter that was written, this accusation that, that Nehemiah is trying to revolt and is trying to rebel against Artaxerxes and you're trying to set yourself up as king and, and, and it is said of you that there is a king in Judah. And the thing is, is that there is a king in Judah. There is a king of the universe. There is a God of the universe. His name is Yahweh. And he's one God. And he exists eternally in in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God so loved the world that he sent his only Son so that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God the Son, eternal, truly God, 
somehow truly became man, truly man, truly God simultaneously, mysterious and beautiful. It's the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, Scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He came to save us from the penalties of our sin, which is death and hell. He came to do that. He came in love. He came to us even while we were enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.1 says that we have been justified by grace. Since we have been justified by grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so two last things. When we, when we follow him, when we follow our Jesus in this world, in this land, on this planet, the Tobiah types are always going to be around. The world is always going to think that we're silly. The world is always going to make fun of us. We're always going to be the butt of all sorts of jokes. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let us be a people who love our enemies as ourselves. Let us be a people who who pray for those who persecute us. To not take the Tobiah types and curse them and cuss them out and say mean things about them and blog about them and, and, and write about them on our Facebook messages or whatever and, and, and actually like confront them. Like lo- love, love the Tobias. Pray for the Tobias. Tobias is not going anywhere. And our, and our call is not to be vengeful and spiteful and cynical and mean and vindictive and rude, but to be like this Jesus, the one who came that we might have life and have it in abundance. Be like him to them and invite them in. That old saying, I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends, there's really something to that. The gospel changes people. The gospel saves people. It is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So wherever you're at, friends, in building your wall and following the Lord, I pray that this is a word of encouragement that you, that you pay attention to what you're listening to and to what you're believing that you're following after Jesus and that you're inviting even the Tobias into your life and telling them of the beautiful Savior that we have named Jesus. Amen?